Good evening. Welcome to our Wednesday night Bible study here at Celebration Church. Greetings to all of you, as well as those guys meeting in Stevens Point, Appleton, home groups, people on the internet all over the place watching our uh, study as we go through verse by verse. <laughs> they, they just turned the lights on and my eyes are still adjusting. <laughs> I feel like I'm going to get a tan. Oh, that's weird when it's sitting dark like that. <clears throat> um, well, let's just... You can say, Seed, we'll just open in a word of prayer, and we'll get right into it. Father, we love you, and we thank you for your kindness to us, O Lord God. In our weakness, you still love us. In our struggles, you still love us. Lord, we're about to read about a church that really (laughs) had some serious problems, Uh, yet you love them nonetheless, and help us to learn, as they learned, uh, how to do life right so we can please you and experience more of your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said... Amen. Pastor Bob can pass the offering buckets here. Um, Okay, so we are going through the New Testament, starting the book of Acts. Uh, Jesus gets taken up into heaven, and the church age begins. And what we're doing is we've been going through it one verse at a time. And when we get to the certain points where at that point is when somebody wrote a letter to the churches, which is what the New Testament is made of. We call them epistles, which is a fancy word for letter is all it is. Or sometimes we'll call it a book, the book of First Corinthians. It's not a book. They're all just letters in one great big book. All right? So, uh, so far, we uh, saw the very first letter written in the New Testament was from James to the church. So the letter of James, the epistle of James was the first letter actually written in the New Testament. I don't know why they put the Bible in the order that they put them in. Parts of it make sense and other parts make no sense at all. Uh, The worst is the Old Testament. You want to really get a headache, try and read this in order uh, because it's really jacked up and uh, you try and read it and nothing makes sense. I would encourage you, uh, I think it's actually be helpful because you can get books, you know, Christian bookstores and stuff like that online that uh, will give you the Bible in chronological order. When it's in order, then all this jerking around. So I don't know who made these decisions. Somebody was into the communion wine or something. Anyway, (laughs) so the same with the New Testament. It's all, you know, once you get past Acts, everything's just a free-for-all. The Gospels were in order, Acts, and then it's just all nuts. So the first one is actually James. Uh, and then we have Paul, who writes the letter of the Galatians. He's furious about this argument about circumcision. Then he writes the letter of, to the Thessalonians. Up here, as he's going on these missionary journeys. We went through his first missionary journey, his second missionary journey. We're now into his third missionary journey. Starts kind of the same as the second one. Comes around, visits these churches that uh, he had been around uh, this, on his previous journey. Uh, He's at Ephesus now. Uh, He's determined to go to Jerusalem, which we will read about in due time. But while he's in Ephesus, uh, he writes to the church back at Corinth. Again, these are churches that he established on his second journey. uh, And now that he's here, he's writing a letter back to them. These people have some serious issues. And he pastor who gets discouraged. And at times, it is a bit discouraging. The stories we hear, you have no idea. Ask me privately. I'll share a few with them, and, and you'll go away highly, highly disturbed, all right? And so you hear some of the struggles and some of the people are doing, you think, hello, have you been listening to me? And it's like, nothing's been making sense, and you feel, why even try? And then you read... Corinthians, because these people are jacked up. Uh, the church is in a mess. Now, at the same time, they're a very, they've got all these gifts of the Spirit. They have miracles in their church, stuff that you and I wish. We always talk about, man, I wish we were like the first century church. You ever hear anybody say that? Why can't we be like the early Christians? Well, in terms of devout passion for God and the power of the Spirit, I would say yes, but they were as screwed up or worse than we are. And he writes to the Corinthians, first of all, they're at each other's throats, uh, arguing about what little clique they belong to. Um, They're uh, suing each other, taking each other to court, suing each other. They're dissing Paul. Uh, He's not really an apostle anyway, so he's got to make a defense of that. 
uh, there's a guy in their church having sex with either his mother or his mother, stepmother. <laughs> and um, then uh, talks about they got guys in the church uh, having sex with prostitutes. <laughs> they communion, they're making it a party, and they're getting drunk. Uh, they have questions, doubting about, you know, uh, the resurrection. And so I mean, these guys are a disaster at so many levels. What's amazing is how patient Paul is with them. Personally, I would strangle you all. I found some guys are going to prostitutes before they come to church. I'm going to have words with you, and they won't be kind words, all right? Uh, Paul, and we talked about actually in our presbytery meeting today, uh, there's times where Paul really goes off on people, and there's times where he doesn't. And I think the difference is, is when someone tries to teach bad behavior as a form of the gospel, they corrupt the gospel, they, as if God approves of this or whatever, that he goes off on them. Uh, but when the gospel is being preached, but people are messing up, he's much more compassionate. And we talked about that, and I would hope that's actually true even in my life. I say I'd yell at you, but uh, um, the truth is, no matter what we hear, we don't yell at people, usually. <laughs> I'm actually really nice. Uh, again, I challenge, no, I don't challenge you. Oh, Lord, I was going to challenge you to do something weirder than I've heard. I don't want you to go anywhere near that. But uh, I promise you, there is stuff, uh, and I'm so tempted to say it, but I won't. I'm just going to move on. Okay. So let's take a look at how Paul addresses these Corinthians. Now, usually in Paul's letters, uh, he starts out with theology and gives us great insights into the spirit and what's happening and, and what God was doing, what happened because of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. Uh, and then he gets to practical Christian living and special, specific things. We saw that in the Thessalonian letter, right? He starts out with all this deep ideas about God, and then he starts telling them, you know, hey, don't be sexually immoral and don't be lazy, get a job, you know, and he starts getting on them about stuff like that. Uh, in Galatians, he just starts yelling at him right away because he's so mad and not a whole lot of theology. We get more of that as we get into the letter, and he's really quite brilliant. Now, this one, he kind of jumps back and forth because he kind of gets into it right away, and then he backs up, and then he gets back into it again. So here we go. First Corinthians, Paul hanging out at Ephesus, and he's writing back to these guys over here. Paul, called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and our brothers Sosthenes to the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be his holy people, together with all those everywhere who call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, third Lord and ours, talking about the universality of the Christian experience, that there's really, you know, there's individual churches, uh, like he says, the church in Corinth and stuff like that, and then there's really the, the universal church, all believers, in a sense, we are all part of one gigantic church. Uh, so, um, so that's what he talks about. He says, grace and peace be to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God for you because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus. For in him, you have been enriched in every way with all kinds of speech and with all knowledge. God thus confirming our testimony about Christ among you. Therefore, you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly await uh, for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. So in this sense, they're doing really well. We're going to talk about some of these spiritual gifts and stuff like, man, we need to see more of this in contemporary churches. But despite their struggles, there's part of them that's doing really well. Uh, talking about Jesus, he will also keep you firm to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful who has called you into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. I like that he will... Also able to keep you, and, and the, there's uh, several times we find this in the New Testament, this idea that God will help you make it. Because I got to tell you, there's days where you think, I ain't going to make it, you know. I don't know if I can survive this. I don't know if I'm going to fall. I don't know if I've got the strength to go on. And many times we read in the New Testament that at the end of the day, it is God who gives us the strength to keep standing. The good news is, uh, and he'll talk about this much more as we get into this, that 
Christianity isn't really about you. It's about you responding to him and then him empowering us to do what we do. Uh, because we all fall short, right? You know, except Bob. You know, everybody has, has there he is. <laughs> Usually you're there where I make fun of you. You moved, you ruined it for me, man. Uh, <laughs> we, we all have our issues and stuff like that, but, and, and just when you think, I, I can't do this anymore, you can, and, but it's not about you. It's about his grace in you. And if you just hang on, he will give you the strength, okay? So we see that a lot, and he talks about that here. God is faithful, who has called you into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. And then that's as much theology, theology as he gets into, and then he starts getting right into one of their main problems. Uh, now, I gotta tell you, I wouldn't lead with this, right? I lead with, you're getting drunk at communion? You know what I mean, I, I, that would be me, you know? You're seeing prostitutes out of you, out of you, out of your mind? You know, that, but he's nicer than me, apparently. So he leads with their first problem, uh, the fact that they're fighting with each other. He says, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. My brothers and sisters, some from Chloe's household have snitched on you. They tell me, you little rats, that there's quarrels among you. What I mean is this. One of you says, well, I follow the apostle Paul. And someone says, well, I, I follow Apollos. Remember, we just, we just read about Apollos in the book of Acts. A new guy comes along, and he's this really eloquent teacher. He can, he's got the gift of gab, this guy. He's like, Hochi mama, you know. Ooh, I like Apollos. He's my man. And then someone says, well, I, I follow Cephas, you know, Cephas, which is the word for Peter, which I find curious. I didn't curious enough to look it up because I don't really care. But uh, <laughs> apparently, because we don't read about Peter anymore, so I don't know. Did, he must have showed up here, huh? I guess if I really cared, I'd looked it up. It doesn't matter. Anyway, so, and then, of course, the really spiritual people say this. I, well, I follow Jesus. And, uh, and uh, so now when you read in books about all of this, they go into this thing talking about it, it, this part of the, uh, you know, Roman Empire. Well, actually, this is Greece here, and, and uh, which at the time was under Rome. And, and uh, they uh, were very much into a following identifying with certain people in culture. And it was very much a who you know kind of culture. And it was very different than other cultures and stuff. You know, I, honestly, some of these theologians give me a headache. I don't know what they're talking about or what they're thinking. Because this isn't something unique. Man, every church I've ever been into falls into this trap right away. Right? Well, I mean, <laughs> we had problems with this when we first got here. You know, well, I, I don't, Pastor... Pastor Mark's not my pastor. You know, pastor so-and-so is my pastor. The same guy working in the same church for Pastor Mark. Apparently they won't listen to me, they'll listen to him. You know, or all of this and all of that. And the truth is, the reason we have so many churches in America, including here in Wisconsin, is pretty much this. Well, you know, no, I, I follow Luther, or I follow this guy, or I'm following the Pentecostal people, and I'm following the Baptists. And of course, there's 50 different kinds of Baptists can't stand each other as it is. So they got, everybody's got their different version of what everybody fights and when they're all, you know, I'm so much spiritual. And of course, then you got the real spiritual people who say, you know, I don't go to any church because I, I, I follow Jesus. Me and Jesus, we got a good thing going, you know. So <laughs> he's, he's trying to reason with them. Apparently, it wasn't really successful because we still have the problem today. But then he says, really, guys, is Christ divided? What, what kind of picture of Christianity is this? We're all supposed to be brothers and sisters in Christ. It doesn't mean we have to all agree with each other. That, from the day I showed up here, I have preached to all of you. What? Well, back in Stephen's point when I first started pastoring with you guys over there. From the beginning, we don't all have to agree about everything. Okay, that's not what they could, because I know the minute we start thinking in those terms, you're going to get this. So I'm trying to avoid this, and let's not get into all this crazy versions of there's, you know, uh, 
about stuff that just, just doesn't matter. I don't think it matters. You know, what do you think about this? I mean, you know, you know what? I just, I just got this question recently. And I get this every so often, you know. Well, what do you think of transubstantiation? <laughs> of course, most of, you, most of you have no idea what that even means. <laughs> but that's the idea that the body, in communion, the body and blood of Jesus literally becomes his body in his blood. And it's just an argument over, who cares? If someone thinks in those terms, God bless them. If someone thinks, well, I just think this is, you know, a representative of it. Who cares? Take it and shut up. Okay? But no. Christians got to fight about this stuff. And I, I just refuse to get drawn into stupid. You know, people get all the... You know, I get to get these pastors. I'm always the killjoy, you know, because they're so serious, and I'm rarely terribly serious. And, and they sit, and they just bring up all these theological questions. You know. Well, what do you think uh, about such and such God's vision of this, that, and blah, 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 and they're all talking, and they're just... And then they come to me and say, well, Mark, what do you think? I say, you guys give me a headache? I'm just trying to get people to quit fornicating for the love of God. I just, you know, seriously? This, I just want them to come to church on Sunday. How about we do that? I don't care about your stuff. It gives me a headache. So I've, I've always tried to limit this. So at times people come to me and say, well, you know, Pastor, I, I don't agree with your version of this. I go, great. I don't care. You know? Now, there is the stuff we don't yield on. Pretty much that which is summed up in the Apostles' Creed and why we recite it every Sunday. This is the real deal stuff. Well, I don't know if Jesus is really the Son of God. Then we got a problem. I don't think God really made the heavens and the earth. It's a big galactic burp, burp somewhere. Then we got a problem, all right? I don't think Jesus really died for us. Then we got a problem. I don't believe in the You see what I'm saying? This, this is the solid stuff that we believe in. You know, now, I'm not going to get an argument about how to be baptized. Because there's people who actually fight over how to be baptized. They, they don't think you should get baptized in a container like this. That it's supposed to be like in a river, flowing water. I guess so it wipes the sins downstream. I don't know what the heck they're talking about. <laughs> you know, they are, I, man, I spray with a fire hose. I don't care. Just who cares? <laughs> people, good Lord. They clearly don't have any problems because they come up, they have time for this nonsense. I, I don't know. Actually, what I get a lot of is, oh, what do you think of Joel Osteen? What do you think of, uh, throw me some other names, I don't know. Rick Warren. What do you think of, you know, James D. Kennedy? What do you think? I'm thinking, oh, you guys got too much free time. I just, I don't have time to listen to these people. I don't think I've ever, uh, yeah. I listened to Joel Osteen once, I think. He seemed like a nice guy. What do I care? I mean, I, I, don't, I got my own life. I'm trying to preach the gospel, share, teach people the Bible. You know, I'm not saying you don't have to listen. No, I'm just saying I don't. So people always ask me these opinions. What do I think? I don't know. <laughs> do you think Rick Warren's bad? I don't know. He says something about me. You know, I don't know. <laughs> they talking about me? I don't really care. Anyway, moving on. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? So he's yelling at the people who like him. They're on the Paul side. Are you guys crazy? He says, I thank God I didn't baptize any of you except Crispus and Gaius so that no one can say they were baptized in my name. And then because they did not have whiteout invented yet, and because they didn't have backspaces, then he goes, oh yeah, wait a minute, I also baptized a Stephanus <laughs> And, and uh, beyond that, I, I don't think I did anybody else. You know, I, even, I, man, he's sitting there, you know, writing a letter and going, oh crap, man, I forgot that one guy. And uh, I don't think there's anybody else, you know, which is hilarious, because they didn't have backspace and stuff. Wasn't emailed or whatever. So, so, and then he goes on. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. What? 
Isn't part of the gospel preaching and telling people to get baptized? I don't know. I didn't, God, Jesus didn't tell me to baptize people. I came to preach. Not with wisdom and eloquence, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. Now, we know he believed in baptizing, right? Clearly, we know that. I guess what he's saying is, I didn't have to do the baptizing. Jesus didn't say that I have to literally baptize everybody. Okay, I'm good with that. I don't baptize everybody. I don't think I baptize anybody. (laughs) I don't want to get wet. All right, so... Unless it's a jacuzzi, then I'm in. Anyone who gets baptized in a jacuzzi, I'm your man. All right? So then he goes into now theology, and he's trying to explain. He says, look, the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. You've all seen that. It was one time, many of you thought that. I did. When I was first hearing about Jesus and saying people, oh, what a bunch of nonsense. That was nasty to Christians. You know, it didn't take long before I got saved, but the first ones that came around, I'm making fun of them, mocking them and stuff. It's just foolishness to people who don't know God. But to those of us who are being saved, it's the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. So God kind of loves messing with highly intelligent people's heads. And he intentionally makes it so simple that really smart people don't get it. That's what it is. You ever have that? There's really highly intelligent people that have a hard time with faith. And God goes, he did it on purpose. It messes with him. Uh, I think it's kind of funny. By the way, he's quoting from the Old Testament here. And he does this throughout this thing, which I find curious again. I, I don't know. Because none of these people really, as far as I know, were, these are, these are uh, pagans who become Christians. They didn't have Jewish scrolls unless they got copies of the scrolls and were looking into the Old Because remember, they didn't have the New Testament or anything. Their only reference was the Old Testament which I would think would be a little confusing to them because you start reading the Old Testament, you think, gee, we shouldn't eat pork and we should get circumcised, we should do all this stuff, which he says you don't, so I don't know. I'm not sure how they all balance it out. He goes on to say, where's the wise person? Where's the teacher of the law? Where's the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand a sign. Show me a sign. Greeks look for wisdom. These are the pinheads who like philosophy. And what do you think about presence? That was was their whole thing. But we preach Christ crucified. This is about Jesus dying on the cross for you. It's that simple. And in its simplicity, people who tend to really try and process things here, they stumble over it and they don't get it. It's a stumbling block, he says, to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles, but to those whom God has called, which be all of you, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many of noble birth. Doesn't say that there weren't any. He says there just weren't many. And I think if you look at most congregations of people who are truly devout Christians, you will find some people who are like very successful, very prominent people in the community, you know, you know, star athlete and stuff like that. But by and large, Christianity is made of just very simple people, which is I put myself in that character category. You know, no, no great pedigree one way or the other. And we are the ones who respond to this message, and God loves it. Uh, And all the hoity-toities tend to miss it. Not all of them, but most of them. God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. Say, Pastor, I'm not strong. Welcome to church. (laughs) I don't have the strength. You're our person. (laughs) That's what this church is made of, all churches. All right? God chose the lowly things of this world, the despised things. Anybody feel like that? Oh, man, I'm a nobody. I'm a nothing. Why would God care about me? I mean, really, it's quite stunning. Look, if I was God, I'd have killed me a long time ago. (laughs) Seriously, I would have just, really, again? Move on. 
Uh, but he doesn't do that, thank God. So God intentionally chose the lowly things of this world, the despised things of this world. And the truth is, there's a reason why some of us are lowly <laughs> and why some of us are despised. <laughs> so we bring that even on ourselves, some of our history, some of the mistakes we've made, some of the dumb stuff we've done, some of the dumb stuff we still continue to struggle with. Guess what? You're not a shock to God. You know, I think sometimes in Christianity, we think this is like a, a marriage, you know, where you date for a while. But the truth is, you don't really know that crazy person. All right? You think you do. But everybody's smiling and showing you the best version, and some literally go out of their way to present the version you want to see. Right? And then you marry them. And within months, you're having visions of strangling them to death in their sleep. All right? Because now, oh, now, now that I really see what you're like, and, oh, you know... I think sometimes people think that's, that's faith, that Jesus comes and he doesn't really know you, okay? You just happen to get in on this. And then once you get in on this, then Jesus, oh, ugh, ugh. I didn't know what I was getting into, right? People talk about it in marriages all the time. Oh, I didn't know, you know. <laughs> that her sister was in the Wizard of Oz. You know, I didn't know that. You know, the flying ones. Anyway, so... Uh, you know, that's not what happens. God doesn't get you in on this deal, gets to know you, and then is shocked to see what kind of person you are. He knows. He knows you're not a shock to him. You might be a real disappointment to yourself. I don't think when you feel like you're a disappointment that God is going, oh, myself, what was I thinking? You know, I didn't know this person would be like this. He knows exactly. He chose you, knowing exactly who you are. He knows your strengths. He knows your weaknesses. He knows your limitations. He is abundantly, abundantly aware of your frailties. And he chooses you just the way you are. Now, he doesn't want you to stay the way you are. He wants to change you. From glory to glory, the Bible says. Chances is the whole idea of sanctification, which is a big fancy religious word, but it just means just he just keeps cleaning you up, cleaning you up, making you a little better, so you're not quite as smelly today as you were yesterday. And then maybe tomorrow you're even smellier than you were a week ago. Well, then he just cleans you up and keeps helping to grow all of this. And I, you know, so anyway, he knows all this and he does it on purpose. Why? to nullify the things that are, so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. It's about him. It's not about you. Everybody say it's about him. Okay. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Everybody say it's about him. Okay, that's what this is about. And so it was with me, brothers and sisters, when I came to you, I, I didn't come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. I think he's kind of comparing himself to Apollos. Now, this I don't quite get. We read Paul. If there's anybody who I would conceive as being incredibly eloquent, it would have been Paul. He was a highly educated man. And you know, for him to say, look, I didn't come with all this eloquence, I go, really? You know, the only thing I can figure is that he's, because he's doing this thing with Apollos and these other guys, apparently Apollos was quite the, you know, talker. And what he's saying is I, I, that wasn't really my strength. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's what it was about. That's what I focused on. I came to you in weakness with great fear and trembling, which you would never picture this guy feeling this way, you know. But it's, it's like when you, you talk like a star athlete or something, do you get nervous before the game? A lot of them say, man, I, I, go, I puke my guts out before the game because they are so nervous and they are so freaked out. So though, and then they come out and they perform at a level that you and I in our wildest dreams would never be able to perform, but they do it. Uh, but nonetheless, you know, everybody's aware of their weaknesses. You know, I mean, there's a few that are a little clueless. 
<laughs> but most people, even these amazing people, uh, people who give big speeches and stuff like that, and they'll say, man, before they are a wreck. And basically, Paul was saying, you know, I'm coming to pre- he's preaching in boldness and doing all this stuff, and apparently, just like sometimes you're afraid to really talk to someone about Jesus or bring it up to your family or whatever, pray for somebody because you know what's going to happen, you know, that same fear, that same trepidation that you feel, he felt. The difference is that he did it anyway, which is really the definition of, of uh, bravery. You know, courage is doing what you're scared to death to do. Does that make any sense? You know, these people, I, you know, like our friend Greg Stubbe, you know, some of these guys, war heroes and stuff, and they tell you these stories and you're, I mean, it's just, I wish you could spend an hour with him. Like I've been able to spend many hours and listen to him talk, you know, special forces, soldier, green beret, all, you know, amazing things that he'd done in the firefights he was in and everything else. And I just go, my goodness, how do you, how do you, how do you do that? You know, they, they get it. You know, they get it. You, you get in the wrong spot, you die. Someone's shooting at them. But in the midst of this onslaught, what they do is quite stunning uh, to do what you're afraid to do. I remember when I was first uh, flying airplanes, I was terrified. I was mortified, scared to death. I almost quit in the beginning because I could hardly breathe. I would pull up to the airport and I, I couldn't breathe. But I kept doing it. Why? Because I refuse to be afraid. All right? So my little amount of courage was to do it even though I was afraid. The definition of courage. So that's what Paul is basically talking about. I came to you in weakness, great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words. Again, hard to comprehend, but, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith may not rest on human wisdom but on God's power. Now this is interesting, and I've talked about this before because he brings this up. Uh, in his earlier letters, and keeps bringing it up, that apparently one of the major ways that these people can, can, uh, (laughs) what's the word I'm looking at? I'm getting old. (laughs) Persuaded. There's a C word that starts with that. I can't remember what it is. Convinced, thank you. (laughs) It's like my brain is just like, you know, you hit that part of the brain and you open the door, nothing there. You know? Hello, who cleaned this room? Sometimes my wife moves things, you know. What did you do with what was in that room? The convinced, thank you. The way, <laughs> the way they went and convinced people wasn't because of some cool concept about God, even though Christianity, I think, is the coolest concept in the world about God. That's not what changed the world. What changed the world is they would come and they would start praying for people and God would start doing things and start changing things, praying for sick people, and all of a sudden, they got better. Doers, I mean, this is what, and that's what blew their minds. That's why it was just not just about philosophy and theology. I mean, these Greeks, man, especially in Athens, I mean, these guys were like, all they did was sit around and deal with philosophies all day long. Remember, they had a gazillion gods in this temple, and they all just, all day long, the Bible says, that was their, they just sat and discussed Theological and philosophical, philosophical, I can't talk. Philosophical. <laughs> They've talked about that too. They talk about everything. All right? And then they, had, they ran out of God, so they made an, an, an idol to the unknown God. I mean, you know, there's got to be somebody we don't know yet. So, I mean, this is what they did all the time. The Corinthians were just right next door. They were the same way. They hear the message of Christianity. Oh, it's just another philosophy. I mean, that's, again... That's not what convinces people. And I'm trying to encourage, and I'm eventually going to get into some preachers on a Sunday morning for, you know, do a mini-series on it. Trying to encourage people. When you share the truth about Jesus with people, look for an area in their life that you can pray for. And pray for them. So what if God doesn't answer the prayer? That's on him. Right? But do this, because I'm telling you, when you pray for someone's sick little kid, and all of a sudden they get better, that gets their attention. When they're in a disaster and you pray for them, all of a sudden their disaster turns around, that gets people attention. That gets the attention way more than whatever cool concepts about God that you have. And that's what he said. I came not, I didn't come with you, you know, clearly he was capable. The man is brilliant. But I think what he's saying is that's not what I did. I didn't come 
giving you something. I came in talking about Jesus Christ on the cross, dying for you and praying for people and watching God do things. And it blew everybody's mind. And, and then other people would do it. And those people who got converted did it to their friends. And their people who got converted, they did it to their friends. That's how Christianity spread. It's not about some super powerful evangelist traveling on the road doing all these things. It's not about Pastor Mark has to pray for everybody. It's not about that. It's about praying for people, watching God change their lives, and they did it for somebody else, and they did it for somebody else, and they did it for somebody else, and that is the most persuasive thing you can do to get people's attention. Find something, look for something. How can I pray for you? You know, Find something in their lives and just tell them you're gonna pray for them, or best yet, pray right on the spot with them. You know. So I'm afraid. Yeah, apparently Paul was too. <laughs> okay? So that's how they did this which we're going to see as we get into this because these guys apparently saw a lot of miracles. I mean, the kind of stuff that, that's why we all look back and say, man, I wish we were more like the first century church. Well, in this regard, I do wish we were more like it, but we need to talk more about it and that's, that'll encourage people to trust God uh, for miracles and stuff like that. But that's what really set Christianity off. And God was still doing that even though these people are completely crazy. So well, I'm, I'm not holy enough for God to answer my prayers. Apparently, that's not a requirement <laughs> because these people were jacked up. All right. Now, we do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, not with the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. No, we declare God's wisdom, a mystery that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. What was the mystery? That Jesus Christ, the Son of God, upon crucifixion, and, and you have to understand, when all this was inspired by Satan, he wanted to kill Jesus from the get-go. Remember, Herod and all these people came in killing all these little boys. They were trying to kill Jesus. It was Satan trying to kill Jesus. Many times, the Bible says they tried to kill Jesus and they just couldn't because God was protecting Jesus. Finally, to Satan's, he probably figured he outsmarted God. You know, oh, fine, I got, we got him. And they crucified him and they threw him in that tomb and all of hell was partying. We got him. We got him. We got him. Woo! And what happens? On the third day, Jesus comes back out of the tomb. Uh-oh. <laughs> and then people started believing and experiencing God, and they told others. And then again, this, it was one thing when Jesus was in one spot doing miracles. Now miracles are going everywhere because of people like you and me who believe in Jesus. Again, we just are not taught about this enough and we're not bold enough to pray for people the way we should. And I just want to encourage people to get more bold. Again, we'll get into that when we get to teaching that in, on Sunday mornings. But uh, so anyway, what he says in the next verse is very interesting. He says, none of the rulers of this age, he's talking about satanic, you know, Satan and all his demons. And stuff. None of the rulers of this age understood it. For if they had, they would have not crucified the Lord of glory. They wouldn't have done it. If they would have known what was going to happen as a result of crucifying Jesus, they wouldn't have done it. But when he did, and then we're here 2,000 years later, and still this message of the cross is still changing people's lives to this very day, and God's continuing to do wonderful miracles on people's hearts and lives. Uh, uh, anyway, so then he quotes from an Old Testament verse. However, as it is written, what no eye has seen what no ear has heard, what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love him. Uh, the King James version of that, which I grew up with, and many of you may have heard, eye has not seen nor ear heard the wonderful glories that God has prepared for those who love him. All right? Now, what's really odd about this, you know, every denomination has its little quirks uh, and they tend to always quote their same favorite verses and pray, pray their same prayer. They all do. I mean, you go into one certain denomination, whether you do it in California or you do it in Maine or Wisconsin, it's pretty much the same service, okay? Now, I don't know about other churches, but in the Assemblies of God church that I was in for a while, this was one of their favorite verses, and they would frequently quote this. Anybody who's been in an AG church knows, I has not seen nor ear heard the things that God has prepared for those who love him. We don't know, but someday we will know. We don't know because eye has not seen, nor ear. It is one of the most misquoted verses that those people quote. Because it says in the very next 
continuing sentence. These things, these are the things that God has revealed to us. So anybody can say, oh, eye has not seen or ear heard. What is yeah, we've seen it now. This is what he's saying. He's quoting the Old Testament. Man, we have no idea. And what he's saying, now we know exactly what's going on because God has revealed it to us by his spirit. By God's spirit, we are getting a picture of the glory of God in our lives. By his spirit, when we worship him, when we pray, when we're experiencing God in our lives, we are getting pictures of this wonderful glory. The more we get into this, the more excited we should be for eternity. All right? So this verse is not to say, oh, this stuff none of us will ever know, and you know, we've got to wait till we die to see this stuff. That's not what this says. He's quoting from the Old Testament, eye has not seen, near has not heard, but God has revealed it to us. Hallelujah. Good preaching, Pastor Morgan. Okay. So then he goes on to say, now the spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who knows a person's thought except the, their own spirit within them? Now, who knows you better than you? Okay. The spiritual party really knows you more than I would ever know or anybody else would ever know. You know. And what he's saying is the, the spirit of the person knows stuff. And what he's saying is the spirit of God is the one who knows God. And by connecting more with the spirit of God, you get to experience more of God. I said earlier today, I said, man, I need to get more spiritual. Because <laughs> the reality is if we will spend more time with this, you will experience more of God. You will start to, and why do you want to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Because it is the Holy Spirit that knows God. And he will make God more known to you. God, the Holy Spirit will reveal more, okay? But that doesn't happen by just watching Gilligan's Island, okay? You got to pray, read the Bible, give yourself to spiritual things, come to church, and you will see that God will start explaining these things. Uh, in the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. What, what we have received is not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, so that we may understand what God has freely given us. This is what we speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, Explaining spiritual realities with spirit-taught words. That's why we want to emphasize the experience of the Holy Spirit in your life. This is when God makes himself really real. The truth is, me just saying something doesn't become powerful until the Holy Spirit makes it real to you. I mean, there's some people, you know, have, who've heard, you know, sometimes I'm preaching something and that's like the fifth time I've preached it. Those of you who are paying attention are well aware. <laughs> but it's amazing how many people can sit there and then finally on the fifth time they come up to me and say, that was amazing. I've never heard that before. I go, don't you come to church every Sunday? Yeah. It's the fifth time I said that. And they go, really? I mean, seriously, I mean, it's just that way. At some point, unless the spirit of God turns the light bulb on a, on a spiritual truth. You don't get it. Uh, and you know, it's real interesting. As, as, uh, as any preacher knows, as you're speaking, you almost see it on people's eyes, you know, boop, the light went over there. There's one. <laughs> Ding. As you're going along and people are relating to stuff. What is it? That's the hand of God going around, taking words that are spoken and making them become very, very real to people. Because at the end of the day, this is about knowing and experiencing God. It's not about hearing words in and of themselves. God uses these words. But if you're not tuned into the spirit, if you come to church and you're just mad at everybody, and you leave, I mean, better to do that than not come. Chances are you're not going to get a whole lot. I mean, at some point, you need to intentionally kind of tune in to the spirit. That's why we start out singing. It is. Why? It's a way of tuning in. You know, like those old radios. Actually, those are the radios I grew up with. <laughs> you remember the tuners? Some of you geezers, right? You know, right? These young people have no idea what we're talking about. What's well, a tuner? Why don't you just play it on iTunes? There wasn't any iTunes, all right? You got this box and you turn it on and you know what? You had to wait. Really, how horrible was that? You actually had to wait for the tubes to heat up. Man, you young people have a heart attack. Where's the sound? All right, so finally, it warms up, and then you got to, and then you find, find the spot, okay? And you get the right frequency. Oh, cool, 
WLS Chicago. Woo! And you guys, right? And we were geezers. Okay. So we would listen to, you know, the latest Beatles song or whatever it was, but you had to find it. Uh, I remember, uh, actually, they're still there. They still have super powerful stations around the country. These, what is it? Is it 50,000 watts? Or maybe it's more than that. It's a lot. There's a handful of like super powerful AM stations that back in the day, as you were driving late, uh, you would find those hot AM stations. Like you'd be driving in Wisconsin and tune in St. Louis. Because what happened is by law, and the law actually is still in effect today, the, but nobody listens to AM radio, so nobody cares. Because <laughs> you listen on the internet, right? But by law, all local radio stations, especially the AM ones, have to drop their signal. Uh, and it's really just a racket. What it was, they could drop their signal so the big yo mama guys could come blasting in at night is really what it was. So during the day, all of a sudden, in fact, if you ever listen to an AM radio station and watch as the sun goes down, all of a sudden, you start getting more static and stuff because they're dropping their power. They got to drop their power. Back in the day, it was always like that. Again, I believe the law is still in effect. It's just nobody pays attention to it anymore. But when we were doing that, I see some of your faces smiling. You would tune in on the car radio to uh, the big station in you know, Cleveland or St. Louis or wherever, LS, WLS in Chicago. There's a handful of these big yo mama mega stations. And that's a, why am I talking about this stuff? I don't. I was just like, you know. It's like I stepped into the room and I got carried away. I didn't know that room was there even. All right, all of that to say, oh, I remember what I was talking about. Okay, so, <laughs> good Lord, all of that is, that's why we come and we start out and we sing. You're supposed to sing. Many of you believe in miracles because you sing with your mouth shut. But assuming you actually sing, the point of that opening 20 minutes on Sunday morning is to, to tune down the low you know, all that stuff that's yelling at you and screaming at you and the bills and your demon-possessed children or whatever it is. It is. You bring that down and you, and, and you try and tune into the spirit and get plugged in to, this, to heaven. And, you just, and, and that's the whole reason, to sing and to focus. And then we sit down and then we teach you the scripture. And hopefully the Holy Spirit makes it come alive to you. So it's an important, that's, that's the part of the music thing. Not that that's more important than the teaching. It's not the whole purpose of the singing is for the teaching, right? Okay, so, there you go. <laughs> Where was I? Uh, verse 14, yeah, the spirit, the person without the spirit does not accept the things that come from the spirit of God, but thinks they're foolishness and cannot understand them because they're discerned only through the spirit. The person with the spirit makes judgments about all things, but such a person is not subject to merely human judgments. For who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him, but we have the mind of Christ? This is another misquoted scripture. Oftentimes people say, who knows? Who knows? The Bible says, who's known the mind of the Lord? And Paul says, but we, we have the mind of the Lord. We get this through the spirit. We connect with God through the spiritual experience that we should be experiencing Every time we gather together, especially on Sunday morning, and you're singing and you're worshiping and you're focusing, and the whole thing is to kind of tune in so you can really connect with God. All right. Then, okay, now he jumps back out of theology and uh, starts getting on. Again, he's still dealing with the fighting among them. Brothers and sisters, I, I couldn't address you people as people who live by the Spirit. But people who are still worldly, merely infants in Christ. So he goes through this whole thing, talking about how we experience God by the Spirit, and, and the Spirit makes everything come alive, and, and the Spirit's what really makes all this truth come to you, and this is, they're all going, yeah, yeah, the Spirit, you're right, that's what makes it happen. And then he says, but you guys, I, you're not spiritual. <laughs> well, wait a minute, man. You're worldly. You're mere infants in Christ. So right away, he slams them. I gave you milk. Not solid food, because you weren't ready for it. You're still little baby babies. Indeed, you're still not ready. You can't grow up. You're immature. So I mean, he sets all this up and then smacks them upside the head. Uh, you're still worldly. 
How are we worldly? We're Christians. What do you mean we're worldly? Because he says, for since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? People in the world do this. Are you not acting like mere humans? But I am a human. Yeah, but we're not mere humans anymore. All right? We're supposed to be Christians. People, humans, walking flesh bags that have the spirit of God in us, that brings life to us, that brings truth to us. When you start acting, you're jealous, and I hate that guy, and I like that pastor, but I don't like this pastor, and I like this. You're just being carnal. Stop it. For when one says, I follow Paul, and another one says, I follow Apollos, are you not mere human beings? Stop it. What, after all, is Apollos? What is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe. Stop picking guys you like better than the other. What are you doing? Stop. As the Lord has assigned each to his task, I planted the seed. Apollos, Mr. Blah, 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 watered it. But God's been the one making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything. This is only about God. It's all about him. Everybody say it's all about him. Are you seeing a pattern here? He keeps saying over and over, it's all about him. It's all about him. Okay, it's God who makes things grow. The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose. And they will each be rewarded according to their own labor, for we are co-workers in God's service. We're all on the same team, guys. You are God's field, God's building. By the grace God has given to me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder, because he's the one who came and preached the gospel in the first place. And someone else is building on it. But each one should build with care. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. So he's talking about how he lays the foundation. These other men have come and built on the foundation. Then he starts talking about individually. This is true in everybody's life. God lays a foundation in your life. Now you need to be careful how you build on it. This is what he says next. For anyone who builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, what? Gold, silver, precious stones, and then wood, hay, or straw. Two diametrically opposed concepts. Their work will be shown for what it is because the day will bring it to light. You see the capital D there. He's now talking about the judgment seat of Christ that all Christians will appear before. It's different than the great white throne judgment we will see at the end of Revelations. The great white throne judgment is for unbelievers, where they will have to give account for all their sins. The good news is because of Christ in our lives and the forgiveness we uh, uh, experience, we don't give account for our sins, in a sense, because we've been careful to ask God to forgive us of our sins. That's why you should always ask God. I'm not shocked. The, the horror isn't that you sin. The horror is that you haven't repented and asked God to forgive you. Well, I feel terrible. Well, I get it, but just trust God, okay? So we don't, have, we don't have that day of, you know, answering for our sins. Thanks be to God. This is something I don't want to answer for. I don't have an answer. Nobody has an answer. But as Christians now, we've been redeemed. But we still have a day where we have to answer for how we build on the foundation. What do you do with your life? This is something that far too many Christians do not take seriously at all. They think the grace of God is so great that it doesn't matter what I do. Well, again, this isn't about you in the first place, but you need to build on it. There is a part of us that has to be responsible for what we, even though with the mistakes and the stuff, and I get it, but there's really two Materials you can build, something really valuable or stuff that isn't valuable. Is most of your Christian experience building things that just aren't worth anything? Uh, does God hate you for that? No. We'll see that in a second. Does that mean you're going to go to hell? You'll find in a second. No, it doesn't mean you're going to go to hell at all. It says you'll still be saved. What's it mean? I mean, it's just that, you know, what, what, what are you going to take into eternity with you? What rewards are you going to take into eternity with you? Now, apparently... The fire of this day, I mean, not, not the fire of hell, but just the, the, the judgment of that day, we'll have to give an account. We all have to give an account for our lives. Remember, I've been preaching about this just recently on this whole giving thing. Do you have to give? No. Do you have to pray? No. Christianity isn't about you having to do much of anything. Should you do it? Yeah, why? Because of that foundation that God has laid in your life, of Jesus Christ in your life. Now you want to build on that because someday we will have to give an account 
And it's not about following rules and regulations and if it was a certain percentage or not. That's not what this is about. This is about making sure we build properly so that we're prepared so that we have something to show for on that day. It will be revealed with fire, Paul says, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. Again, I presume that's figuratively. I, I don't know. I don't think so. <laughs> but anyway, if what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. You want to receive rewards going into eternity. If it's all burnt, burned up, the builder gets jack squat, but yet will be saved, even though only as one escaping through the flames. In other words, by the skin of your teeth. Will you still get into heaven if you got nothing to show for what you did? Yeah, you'll be saved by the skin of your teeth because of what Christ has done in you, this glorious, fantastical work. But you don't want to get up there and have nothing to show that your whole life, even as a believer, was just about you building your business, you paying your bills, you getting what you want to do, throwing in a couple of bucks on the offering Sunday morning, not paying attention much to anything, going to church, you know, three times a year, whether you need it or not. I mean, if that's your Christian experience, you know, so, well, grace covers that. Well, yeah, we'll also be saved. Oh, okay. No one's, no one's sending you to hell because you didn't come to church every Sunday. We don't talk in those kind of terms. Why do you want to do these things? You do them on purpose. It's being intentional about your faith, building your faith. Why do you do nice things to people? Are you buying God's uh, love? No. His love's already been given to you. You couldn't buy it. It's not about that. People oftentimes get this confused. You're not earning. You're not trying to get to heaven so that when I get to heaven, hopefully the good outweighs the bad and I'll get in. No, no, no. You decide whether or not you get in by believing in Christ Jesus. That's what saves us. That's the foundation. That's the deal. You don't buy anything else. There's none of this stuff like that. All the people who think like this, when they get to the white stone judgment, they're going to find out it's just like this. All right? We're in serious trouble. Without Jesus, without God's grace, to have to account for all your sins. I mean, there's not a chance. And that's a very bad day for these people and the beginning of a very long eternity. Uh, but in our case, we do these things intentionally so we have something to show for eternity. That's why Jesus said, lay up for yourself treasures in heaven. Don't just get it all here. This is going to be a big day. This is going to be an important day. Now, I get it. We all have our days we need to work with. We all have our bills we need to pay. We all, and I, I understand all that stuff. But you just want to make sure that your entire life isn't just about you. That every dime you make isn't just put in your pocket. That every free moment you have isn't just about you relaxing and having a great time. At some point, we need to invest in other people. Why? So that we can lay up treasures in heaven because we will have that day that we will all have to give an account for. Uh, again, it's not about saved versus not saved. Even, he says, even if everything a Christian has built is burnt up in this test, whatever that means. And it's all wood, hay, and stubble, and you never bothered to do much anything. You'll still be saved by the skin of your teeth as though escaping through the flames. But I, I don't think anybody, if you think of it, who wants to, really? That's your version of eternity? Uh, we want to build something that you can feel good on that day, that your life matters. And you do it through sacrifice. You do it through intentionality. You come to church on purpose. You're here tonight on purpose. Most of the people in our congregations, quite frankly, are home right now, <laughs> despite my guilt trip that I bring on to them every Wednesday. <laughs> but you want to do that. You want to grow intentionally in your faith and do these things in your faith so you can build something that will last uh, forever. Uh, and I think we'll end there, okay? So we'll pick it up again at... Uh, Chapter 3, verse 16. Uh, and he finishes out this argument about these guys fighting about who I like better, who's a better teacher than the other one. They don't like that. Then he has to defend himself a little bit about you know, whether or not I'm really a true apostle because they were questioning that. And then he jumps into crazy. And this is both entertaining and disturbing at the same time. And we will start, he starts really getting it. He goes right into this incest case that we were talking about. He starts getting into these people suing each other. He starts getting right into sexual immorality. Uh, then he gets into the whole thing about marriage, which this is, I think, my least favorite chapter in the Bible. For a guy who does this for a living, it gives me a headache. Because, and we'll get there, because he speaks, he writes kind of in circular thinking, and I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa,
I will share my thoughts on the matter when we get there. Uh, and then we get into all the other crazy. So it's very interesting stuff. So we will see you back in church Sunday so you can experience more of the Spirit of God in your life, so you can experience more of God. And next Wednesday night, God bless you guys. Thanks.